0: Hi guys, this is Sadie. You're listening to Trafficked and this is episode eleven. And I am Jess co-hosting once again. Do you have anything you want to start
1: with before we jump in? Mercury in retrograde is hitting us all. (laughs) That's all I have to
0: say. Okay, cool. Well, I picked a mass kidnapping from the terrorist group in Africa, Boko Haram, this week. So I would just advise in general, if you're listening discretion, maybe just take almost extra care while listening, not to overexert yourself emotionally or mentally. Make sure you're in a space where you can handle this information. Yeah. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, so I'm gonna give a little bit of an intro, just because I researched this for some time. It means a lot to me. I already respect and admire these women so much. I just hope that this story does a decent overview job. If people want me to, I can always do a follow-up as well, because there are so many victims in this case. So some background. Boko Haram is a self-proclaimed terrorist and violent extremist organized crime group, and they've been active since 2009. Their goal is to establish an Islamic state with strict adherence to Islamic law. They've murdered more than 27,000 people and displaced over 2 million others from their homes. Boko Haram roughly translates to something between Western education is forbidden and Western education is sin. Boko Haram dominates Northern Nigeria where Muslims are the majority against primarily Christians who are the majority in the Southern part of Nigeria. So it's already a religious battleground. The terrorists have a headquarters in the Sansia Forest, which is in northeast Nigeria. And the forest, it's 60,000 square kilometers, which is 230 miles. It backs up to the state of Borno, which I want to say is just the north part of Nigeria. I think it's a region. Okay, so that northern region has been most impacted by Boko Haram because they're so close in proximity. Nigeria continues to be a battleground for what seems to be a decades-long fight against armed groups of Islamic State West Africa province, or ISWAP, and Boko Haram. The Nigerian president, Muhammadu Buhari, was elected partially on the promise to crush Boko Haram in his 2015 campaign. Since his election, Boko Haram on police stations and military bases have actually increased, though. Just keep that in mind. So of the thousands of kidnappings they've orchestrated, most are to find and capture women to abuse as sex slaves. The others are used to strap suicide bombs to in order to murder large amounts of civilians in public places. And if that's not an option, then Boko Haram fighters are known for opening fire in public places. Men are either forced to convert to a Boko Haram fighter or they're killed. The terrorist group targets schools, churches, mosques, markets, police stations, and military facilities. And they've killed hundreds of students, mostly boys, attacking their schools and burning the buildings, as it happens in the crime we're about to dive into.
1: Gotcha.
0: So it's very religiously motivated, but also with an emphasis on targeting education. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. That is interesting. Most mass kidnappings in Africa are religiously motivated. Warlords target boys with the goal of molding them into child soldiers. To illustrate this, Joseph Kony's group, the Lord's Resistance Army, has been kidnapping kids since the 80s, and Kony's group has taken women and girls to work in camps or to be used as sex slaves. So it's a trend we've seen historically. Mm -hmm. So, our incident. Schools in the region of Chabok, which is a city in Nigeria, were closed since March 18, 2014, due to fear that Boko Haram was planning an attack. Boko Haram was targeting schools because of their opposition to Western education, which they believe corrupts the values of Muslims. The Chibok girls were about to graduate, and they went back to their government-run secondary school to take a physics exam. It's also a dormitory school, so they probably went during, the, like, in the morning, took their exams, and they were all settled at night. Gotcha. So, April 14th, 2014, at least 276 girls are forcibly removed from their school, and they're all between 16 and 18. So they're little.
1: We can't really necessarily call them women yet. No, they are absolutely children, not. They're children. But and- they're so old to where they are necessarily perceived. This They're old enough to where the crime wouldn't necessarily be deemed as heinous as if they've been very small school children. Right, like if they were preschoolers. right? And obviously, we don't see it that way, but that's the way that this would be viewed.
0: Specifically, this group is known to target older girls I believe on the notion that they can attack their choice to be there. That's a really big part of this. It's punishing the people who actively seek to be educated, specifically women. Gotcha. They are termed, as I've called them repeatedly, the Chewbacca girls Mm -hmm. throughout this story. So they're in their dormitories when gunmen arrive and begin firing their weapons into the air, and that causes panic, and then they were forced onto the trucks. This was the first time Boko Haram's targeted girls on a mass scale, NPR Africa reported. Quote, in the past, when boys have been killed at schools that have been raided, the girls have been spared, told to go home, get married, and give up Western education. Some girls were able to use the chaos to their advantage by sprinting away from their attackers or jumping off the backs of trucks. Regardless, 57 girls escaped the day of the kidnappings, and three girls told a news source about their older sister who didn't escape with them. Quote, the gunmen came just as we broke our Monday fast. There was chaos everywhere. Her sisters and her ran as best the four could, but two of them fell down. One sister was pushed or picked up by her family, and the other was grabbed by Boko Haram fighters. Now the Chibok community focuses on rescuing and reuniting the remaining 219 girls that were stolen from their families. The girls were forced to integrate into Boko Haram, and many felt too ashamed to return due to things out of their control, like a fighter insisting on marrying them or becoming pregnant. The Chabok girls were subjected to violent beatings and starvation, and they were shown on a video released by Boko Haram chanting the Quran, and their leader Abu Bakar Shikal, said quote I abducted your girls I will sell them in the market that's horrifying yeah it was actually aired on CNN mm-hmm. I don't know why I thought we would get
1: through this story with them just being kidnapped I really had high hopes for this one but of
0: course What's unique about this story is the vast amount of them that were kidnapped. These girls are survivors and they created an indescribable sisterhood that I think a lot of them can say saved their life. A major question in the town of Chibok was where were their girls? The government didn't know and they actually admitted to this, which raised questions of their competence in national security. The overall assumption was that the girls were taken to the same sea of forest. But others speculated that they could be in neighboring countries, including Cameroon or Chad. Some reports said the girls were married to militants for twelve dollars a bit. Like they were, they're put up and sold as slaves. I think that's another thing that I even get uncomfortable sometimes equating human trafficking to slavery. But it's just it's modern day slavery. Right. These girls were literally put up on a stand and sold to men for twelve dollars. Yeah.
1: I can't imagine how small that must make you feel. Know that your life to a man, to a bunch of people who stole you, is worth $12.
0: I think when you're 16 to 18, you're—I don't want to say—vulnerable or susceptible to influence in a different way than most people. Are. But this was a time when they were really molding into who they were going to become as people, and they yeah. experienced—they experienced such extreme trauma. And I don't think that can be underemphasized. No. So I'm really happy we're able to keep that in our mind while we go through this, because these girls, even the ones that do get out, they were ostracized by their communities. They were looked at as if they were a part of this terrorist group and their sympathizers when a lot of them, like other people and stories we've already recorded on this podcast, they're not different than any other victim who feels these things for their abuser. They're this exact same, if not, I would argue, worse just due to the nature and context of their crimes in the African Boko Haram crisis versus Mm. American trafficking. You know what I mean? I do. I think you can compare the two without necessarily diminishing them while also just, I don't know, for me being amazed by the strength and the things that these women have overcome. Okay, so two girls allegedly died from snake bites, 20 were too ill to move, and up to 50 escaped through jumping off of trucks or conspiring with Boko Haram fighters by gaining their trust. But that left 223 girls still missing and held as prisoners. On nearly every level, the Nigerian government failed to act, intervene, and rescue their citizens that were in the grasp of the terrorist group. Media attempted to report on the crime, but conspiracy theories also were running wild, circulating that the kidnappings might not have even taken place. And without a strong stance from your leader, as we're also experiencing country conspiracy theories can run rampant and Mm -hmm. become reality for a lot of people that's true without someone to look to and be like you're right we're doing something Mm -hmm. we have it together you're right that's something we're also seeing mirrored in American culture today and these girls deserved that they deserved a president that outwardly said I can't believe a terrorist organization stole you we will do everything possible to get you back absolutely Since 2014, the Nigerian government has been criticized for their lax approach to the Chibok girls' kidnappings. It might even be more accurate to say the Nigerian's response to Boko Haram in general has been too laid back. The road leading to Chibok is frequently targeted by Boko Haram. The town has been repeatedly attacked and had their buildings burned to the ground and their citizens shot by gunmen. Very little was done in response by police or security defenses to protect the community. Unfortunately, the Nigerian government was never able to facilitate the exchange of all schoolgirls from the Boko Haram fighters that stole them, and their families are frequently disappointed by their unsuccessful negotiations with terrorists. Quote, The government is not talking about our girls anymore. They're acting as if they're happy about what happened to us. We have lost hope in the government helping us. They have not shown any serious interest in ensuring that our daughters are found, and it looks like it was done intentionally. The government doesn't care anymore. And that's from Enoch Mark, who's the father of two missing daughters. Mark and other parents of missing girls still regularly make the 900 kilometer, or 560 mile, journey to Abuja, the capital, for updates about their daughters. They are angry and disappointed in the Nigerian government's response. Some parents have died waiting for their daughters to come home. One local news source reported that they suffered from heart attacks or grief-related ailments and one father described his wife's grief and suffering since learning their 14 year old daughter was taken quote my wife finds it so difficult to cope without her children she cries every time she remembers her missing daughter and another father said his wife was still being hospitalized after finding out their child was among the victims as well that's heartbreaking other parents pulled their money to buy fuels for motorbikes to search for their daughters themselves other people who stepped up one organization formed to advocate on behalf of the families of missing daughters and sisters called Bring Back Our Girls. They began one of the biggest global social media campaigns with the Twitter hashtag Bring Back Our Girls. They tried to pressure the Nigerian government into acting in any way to offer aid to their citizens. Spokesperson Nefemi Onabe said, quote, It is quite challenging to sustain a singular core demand, which is Bring Back Our Girls, when facing a government that has taken up a disinterested and hostile stance for almost five years. The drain of standing for the Chibok girls is real and heavy, and so many may have had various reasons over the years for their reduced commitment. Finally, in February of 2015, the Nigerian military launched an attack against Boko Haram backed by regional forces in the U.S., U.K., and France. Boko Haram pledged allegiance to ISIL in 2015. That's when Chad and Cameroon sent military support for Nigeria in response. So how many have been released? In May of 2016, an army backed vigilante group in the Samzia Forest found one of the girls with a child. Two others escaped in September of 2016 and January of 2017. In October of 2016, the first mass release of the girls took place after the International Committee of the Red Cross brokered negotiations between Boko Haram and the Nigerian government, and that saw the release of 21 girls. After three years, so now we're in 2017, the Swiss government, with the help of the International Red Cross again, helped the Nigerian government negotiate a prisoner exchange for 82 of the girls, leaving 113 unaccounted for. The families of those girls still missing were becoming used to the disappointment by the government's failed attempts to negotiate negotiate and act on the faith in words of terrorists. And more than 90 families had to be sent away from the capital after they gathered on information from the government that Boko Haram would be returning their loved ones. But that turned out to be a lie. Oh
1: my God. And that
0: happened over and over and over again. That wasn't rare. This was just normal. I can't imagine one time
1: No. Of lying to citizens and all of these hopeful families thinking that they're gonna see their child, their daughter, their sister again. At this point, they've been gone for four years. Each of those instances has to be such a massive trauma. Mm -hmm. Horrifying.
0: By 2019, 112 girls were still missing, but Enoch Mark, one of the fathers said, quote, we won't give up even in a hundred years, we will keep believing that our daughters will return home until we all die, we won't stop believing that our daughters will come back.
1: I'm really glad that these families were at least able to hold on to hope. I
0: agree. While they didn't have it in their government, they had it for their daughters. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful. It's fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. But it is so beautiful. So life for the survivors when they get out, if they get out. About 20 of the 57 survivors of the Boko Haram kidnapping moved to the U.S. to continue their educations. It's worth noting, though, that those survivors have experienced severe PTSD and and re-traumatization due to repeatedly being asked to tell and retell their stories. It's a very American thing for us to do. I hate when we sensationalize victims Mm -hmm. and trauma, and I hope that's never the leading impression of this podcast. I don't even want to think about how many times these girls came over here and had to tell their stories to a news reporter or a Journalist who has or anybody else who just wants a headline that makes it look like you care about a cause. To me, if you're hung up by a certain thing that they endured and you brought it up three times, you're not interested in that girl's story. You're there to support her, hear what she went through.
1: You're there for yourself. And while I think that there's a certain amount of weight behind spreading information and making these girls' stories known, I think they deserve to be heard. I think that journalists very rarely have training or background in how to deal with survivors
0: of trauma without re-traumatizing them. Exactly. That should be the central focal point. And if it Mm -hmm. isn't, you're not doing a job you have to meet them where they are I I
1: think it's very interesting Mm -hmm. how the government really failed these women and did not engage with Boko Haram to the degree that I think they should have
0: I agree and I'm not sure if it was because they didn't want to jeopardize the safety of the girls who were taken by them or if it could have also been a lack of military, Mm -hmm. maybe that's me being really
1: presumptuous, this is also presumptuous of me to say, but I don't necessarily know the climate in Nigeria as far as like valuing women I have no reference point to know if they would value a group of women and girls the same way that they
0: might if other people had
1: been taken or men had been taken
0: I think this is the one of 12 mass kidnappings that have happened from this group by itself mm-hmm. since 2009 the other christian radical group has been kidnapping young boys since the 80s right you know what i mean i think at some point as shitty as it is are mass kidnappings in africa equivalent to school shootings in america it's true you've done nothing for so long that almost doing something is the 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 thing to do Mm -hmm. become so accustomed to doing nothing letting it away Mm -hmm. or making it anything else and what happens in this case is the Nigerian government outwardly says that Boko Haram is defeated at one point,
1: which isn't true. So that's where we're at. What you're saying is it becomes a kind of thing where the government maybe acknowledges that something happened, says thoughts and prayers at best. A doesn't best. make it any better. I think that the school shooting equivalent was
0: apt. These girls had Bring Back Our Girls, which was a huge social media frenzy. These girls actually do benefit from the donors and the Nigerian government at some point. I would argue that they were entitled to that. Right. I'm grateful they got it. Not a lot of people do, though. Somewhere yeah. in the middle is where we're at in <laughs> terms of on. gratitude. All right. So of those survivors, we have Rebecca, and she says that she found peace and joy and the freedom to sing Christian hymns now that she's been released. As a prisoner, she was forbidden from expressing her christian faith and she was pressured daily into converting to islam for three years boko haram told the girls they wouldn't make it out alive without converting from christianity that's so terrifying
1: i'm so impressed with the strength
0: and i think
1: that takes a level of faith that i can't even fathom
0: neither can i It's really interesting to grow up in a climate where there's such an emphasis on religion when it's almost a coercive arguing tool. Mm -hmm. I think people use religion as a way to invoke traditional principles and morale that might not be here today. They don't understand religious persecution. Lots of people will live their whole lives and never understand what that really means, but they equate everything to it now we're not equating anything right now. These girls were religiously persecuted, just like in the Bible. It's fascinating to see the people who are self-righteous and malicious with something that's never been intended, and then also watch religion get some of these girls through the day and make sure their life is intact. Mm -hmm. It's incredible.
1: Especially when these groups like Boko Haram are using religion in exactly that way, exactly the wrong way, is such a small portion of Muslims who do join groups like Boko Haram.
0: So ignorant to say an entire religion is one way. The crusades have happened and were happening during your Bible phase. Mm -hmm. No religion has been without violence or bloodshed or murder, frankly. No faith is blameless. Absolutely not. The other survivors are doing their best to move on from their harrowing experiences and they say that They're healthy and full of spirit. They haven't given up on their educations. And now with some of the women in their twenties, they make up for lost time in a school created for them by donors in the Nigerian government called New Foundations. So most of the girls who were taken were from Northern Nigeria which is a place with fewer opportunities for women. At their new school, the girls are accustomed to a different life, one with Wi-Fi-equipped dorms, named after successful women like Michelle Obama and Malala. They're given smartphones, laptops, and their own beds. They visit Chibok to see their parents twice a year over Christmas and during summer break, but besides that, they spend the rest of their time studying really hard, attending class six times a week, studying subjects from biology to math, with the ultimate goal of getting into universities, which would be free for them. That
1: is incredible.
0: I know. I am a sucker for education opportunities for women who don't have other
1: opportunities.
0: The girls experienced horror that most of us cannot imagine, but their bonds brought them strength, and they survived because of their devotion and loyalty to one another. They call each other's sisters, a well-deserved and accurate label of their bonds. The girls have an appointed 24-7 on-call therapist named Samari Dem, and she was born and raised in Nigeria and earned her degree in the United States, and she's been on the Chibok Survivors case since their release in 2007. She's amazing. You're going to love her. She said that the girls endured extreme abuse like beating starvation to the point that the girls were made to eat grass to survive and some were forced into marriages. Others were used as suicide bombers and some survived airstrikes from the Nigerian government as they tried to retaliate against Boko Haram. Rebecca was one of the girls hit by an airstrike. The shrapnel entered her body and still hasn't been removed due to one piece being lodged in her liver. She said one of her main driving forces is her devotion to her education. An interviewer asked her, you were kidnapped at school, now you're back in school. Do you feel like you're doing something courageous? And she replied, even what happened to me will not stop me from doing what I already desire in my mind. Reginald Braggs, who's an American former naval officer turned college administrator, has been at the new foundation school since it opened, and he's there to help students with their ultimate goal of getting into college. He learned quickly that one of the most challenging tasks for these girls was becoming proficient in English, and he came up with a kind of ingenious solution. He instated old-fashioned spelling bees. I love that. It's really cool. So he said sometimes it sucks because the girls will mess up on an easy word, like poor, for example. Mm. But Sometimes a girl like Rebecca gets a word like proficiency and she kills it, and then everyone just screams because they're so excited for her, and yeah. then you just see her light up and she gets confident, and so that's why it matters to him so much.
1: That's incredible.
0: An interviewer asked Reginald if the pressure he puts on the girls as part of the spelling bee was okay, and if they responded well to the task. He said, "Quote, of course, this is about education for them and knowing that they can do something. And it's always better when you have someone who's confident and they're doing something, and the other students observe this change in them. They know if they can do it, then you can do it." But their therapist kind of disagrees. She feels against just pushing them so extremely. She feels like Reginald kind of has a "if you have the mindset, you're fine" attitude, which she doesn't want to be the takeaway from these girls because that, that minimizes the trauma that they endured frankly yes it's just not accurate mm-hmm. and she wishes that the curriculum would be scaled back she believes that the girls are pushed too hard and she says quote trauma really changes the brain whether memory cognition recall and retrieval mm-hmm. and we have to meet them where they are and if not all we're doing is making the situation worse
1: and i'm sure you know reginald looks at successes like rebecca that way whereas somiati is probably yeah. you know looking at it from the perspective of the person who's doing the worst and struggling the most exactly you know they're they're looking at the opposite ends of the spectrum and
0: i guess when you think of that i love that these girls have two people that are so different but mm-hmm. kind of are there to see all sides of the girls right. are being cared for it's true and that's cool
1: that is that's beautiful really
0: cool the survivors suffer from flashbacks and night terrors and it doesn't help that over a hundred of their sisters are still missing a girl named Grace said quote, when she thinks of them, she cries and she knows that place. She knows the condition. She doesn't want her sisters to stay there. She wants them to come out. The therapist uses several different therapeutic treatments to help them heal. She uses yoga and relaxation exercises. She leads individual and group therapy sessions. She commented that the girls are more resistant to individually speaking of their abuse and she speculates that this could be because they were traumatized as a group and that maybe healing will come easier in a place where they can hold on to one another too. She She says she never forces the girls to open up and she said she has no idea how many of them are survivors of rape. She commented on the ambiguity between rape and forced marriage, though, which I thought was interesting and is illustrated by a survivor, Miriam, and she wasn't forced to convert because she was already Muslim. She was married off to a Boko Haram commander and she gave birth to a healthy son, Ali, in the forest. After two years. Her Boko Haram husband was the one who actually helped her in Ali escape and she doesn't consider herself still married. Not always the case, but fascinating. Yes. I have another woman we're going to talk about at the end whose story is so similar. They were victimized the same. Mm-hmm. They started the same. They were both taken from their families and inoculated into an organization that beat them and raped them into submission. So I don't think it's fair to look at yeah. where they're at at the end of the day and be like, you were good, you are not. I think that's really unfair. Exactly.
1: I'm very happy for Miriam that she is in a place where she knows that that marriage was not legitimate me too. However, I don't think it's fair to point to her and say it's what everyone should do when trauma is universal to so many women, but so individual and personal and many other things factor into the way you rationalize your trauma. Yeah. And I'm so happy for her, but I don't want her to be... The standard. The standard or put on a pedestal or the way she rationalized it when however you rationalize your trauma is correct unless you are hurting yourself or
0: others. What I think is super unfair is that by pigeonholing her as the golden survivor, Mm -hmm. I feel like it, A, makes it to where Miriam isn't ever allowed to vary from this. Mm -hmm. So if she does feel anything that's not this, she's going to feel ashamed. And that's not fair. Right. It's a process. She's going to have to probably take the rest of her life to heal from this. I also dislike that we aren't really aware of the amount of pressure she experienced when coming back. We don't know if she was Christian. We don't know if she's from a Muslim household. We don't know if her family had to vote on whether or not she was part of the family or not when she came back you know what I mean yeah like we don't know if Miriam's attitude and this amazing I'm not married anymore was even her or if this is the best thing that she had to cling to to be where she's at today is my only issue there's so many unknowns
1: people are a product of so many different environments and beliefs that the way that they come out of a trauma very much reflects the beliefs and cultures that they were a part of.
0: To finish, Miriam, she'd been separated from her son for so long that he did not recognize her as his mother, and he's likely to face tough roads ahead. But Miriam hopes by pursuing her education, she can make his life easier than it would have been otherwise, and her son stays with her parents in Chibok while she continues her education at New Foundations. To
1: clarify she got pregnant from her forced
0: marriage? Yes. Okay. So she's saying that life for children of Boko Haram is hard. And we're about to see that in Zara. So one woman, Zara, survived a kidnapping from Boko Haram before the April 14th attacks. And she said she was presented with the choice of being married or being a sex slave. She chose to be married and she was interviewed and asked what her marriage entailed. She said they lived together. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a boy. She was rescued before she gave birth. And she spoke to her husband on the phone before the government confiscated it from her. Her family is split. They're half Christian, half Muslim, and they voted on whether she should have an abortion and narrowly decided that she could keep the baby, but a great shame to her family. People labeled her a Boko Haram wife and called her a criminal. They didn't want her around and they didn't like her, and they hated her baby. He became sick and nobody took care of him and nobody liked him. Four nights before her interview, her nine-month-old son was bitten by a snake and died and half of her family celebrated what they called God's will. Quote, Some were happy he died. They were happy the blood of Boko Haram was gone. How old is she? She's 17. I
1: can never imagine hating a child because of who their father was. I couldn't either. That was an innocent child. Yeah. And an
0: innocent child who gave birth to him. When they asked her what she wanted to do, she said she thinks about going back to school and wants to a doctor and sometimes she thinks about going back to Boko Haram and being a suicide bomber Do you have any ending remarks? We can unpack as much of this as you want. There's so much. I can't imagine being from Nigeria or Chibok and being someone who lost my daughter, being treated by my government as such, let alone a survivor who has shrapnel in me. I just feel for these poor young women and girls. That being said, the girls who are at New Foundation have the utmost pride, and so many people in their country have, I would say, cultural pride in them, and they think they're going to do things and change the entire world. They were already the most driven girls that wanted to be in school. Mm -hmm. That's who got to. Taken and hurt. And so I just have no doubt that they're also going to be the ones that pave the way for change. Human trafficking is so important to embolden people and their stories and their experiences. It's your job to help in that fight.
1: I just am in awe of these women who went through what they went through and are still pursuing an education the way they are and have these goals and dreams for themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that what Zara said about someday she wants to be a doctor, someday she thinks about going back and becoming a suicide bomber.
0: I think it's interesting that she didn't say she wanted to go back and fight for them she didn't say that she wanted to die she wanted to die that's the takeaway i think that that speaks to the trauma
1: and the post-traumatic stress disorder that is so apparent and i cannot imagine my family celebrating quote-unquote god's will when the child that i carried inside I of me live with them
0: either. I would think about going back to my abuser, too, if my family said that to me when my child died.
1: The child that you carried in you and you cared for and that people outwardly hated because of of who his father was bizarre is the hardest. Yeah. I can't move away from the awe that I feel at these women. I just know that one of the hallmarks of post-traumatic stress disorder is depression and a lack of motivation and falling behind in school and work. Mm-hmm. So for these women to still be having night terrors and be dealing with something so traumatic and so life-changing and still at the end of the day be able to say, I want my education. I want a better life. I
0: genuinely can't even fathom the kind of strength that that takes. The 24 24- our human trafficking hotline number, which is 1-888-373-7888, or you can text HELP or INFO to 233-733. Just a reminder
1: that if you have any ideas for podcast topics in the future, you can email Sadie at traffickedinamericapodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us or DM us on Instagram at traffickedpodcast, trafficked, P-O-D.